It's nice to be here with you again. Uh, wonderful to be able to share with you. I want to share with you from one of my favorite New Testament books today because I think it's deeply applicable to just about any congregation. Um, but basically what I want to offer to you today is something that Paul offered almost 2,000 years ago to the church at Colossae where he knew the believers, he knew what they were about, and he offered prayer for them in a way that would encourage them to live a life worthy of the Lord. He had heard about them being a pretty amazing church given that they were fairly new in the faith. The church at Colossae is in an area called Asia Minor that is modern-day Turkey. It was a location that apparently had a fairly high Jewish population, so they had some influence of uh, the God of the Bible. They knew about it a little bit. Um, but many of the people in the church were likely Jews, but many of them were probably Gentiles that had very recently come out of uh, their pagan religious practices, where they had followed all kinds of different gods, different ceremonies. It was a challenging environment, as were many of the cities that Paul wrote to. We see this in many of his letters, where the people he's writing to maybe doing well or not doing so well or struggling internally or both externally. In the case of Colossians, it seems like that they were doing pretty well. And I'll tell you about that in just a, just a minute. But they had significant challenges before them. And I find a lot of parallels between the situation we find in Colossians that we find here in our society today. There are many, many par parallels. We don't want to draw too many parallels. This was a letter written by Paul to this church. And we don't want to pretend like he's writing it directly to us, but it is strangely applicable to us anyway. Now, the church at Colossi, uh, Colossi like I said, was dealing with people coming out of their ancient uh, pagan religions. Uh, there may have been some of them were, that were still dabbling in uh, different festivals and different religious practices like happens today across the world when the gospel is brought to people groups that um, are new to Christianity. It's something called syncretism, where sometimes their former faith and their new faith end up getting blended. So that's probably one of the issues. We don't know fully what's going on in this church, but we can guess a few things. There's one faith uh, that will be known later as Gnosticism, that you may have heard of that is probably in play here um, that he will deal with a little bit later in, in, in the letter when he talks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, that he indeed is Lord of all creation and that he was made flesh and dwelled among us and all kinds of other things. The reason he's doing that is because the Gnostics believe that salvation and truth and spiritual enlightenment came uh, from uh, different mysteries that one can find. And they believed that the, the flesh was evil. So to, to think that there would be God, the ultimate God of the universe, become human flesh, die and raise again was just nuts to uh, these people who followed these different philosophies that would become known later as Gnosticism. And then he's probably dealing with uh, an issue that sometimes uh, known as a group called uh, the Judaizers that were those that were the faithful Jewish uh, people that were in the area that uh, many of them became believers, probably some did not. But even those who did, sometimes put their requirements of them being physical Jews onto the Gentiles, and that created huge issues. 
we see that addressed with even more in the book of Galatians. Why do I tell you all this? I tell you all this just to illustrate that what you deal with in your society, what I deal with in my society, may look a little different, but not really. I don't have time to tell you today, but I will tell you that that faith I talked about just a moment ago, Gnosticism, is absolutely alive and well today. It is not necessarily known as that or called that, but it is just as alive and well as it always was in the first century, second and third century especially when it got really strong. Gnosticism is absolutely alive and well. Those sorts of philosophies um, exist in our society, Western societies, Europe, North America, and even in some Asian places in different ways. The reason I tell you all that is to say that there's a lot of similarities here. There are a lot of difficulties that we deal with. It is a complex set of issues when we look at social issues, moral issues, spiritual issues, whatever it may be. We are not alone. And Paul does indeed address a place that may have even had it worse than us, perhaps. Uh, because frankly, in our society, the church is a lot stronger in terms of sheer number of people and how long it's been around and all those sorts of things that they didn't have. So the church at Colossae shares a lot of similarities with us. We have a complex society in which to minister, in which to impact our culture. So when we get to the point where Paul says, I want you to walk worthy for the Lord, what does that look like? Well, I'm setting the stage for you to understand that there is nothing easy about walking in a way that is worthy of the Lord. It's difficult. It's a lot more like hiking up a huge mountain that you could slide off the edge at any moment. It's not walking down a regular tile floor, <laughs> for example, out in the hallway, because I just saw that. Um, it, it, that's not what it's like. It's a lot more dangerous than that. It's a lot more complicated, especially when the way that you walk is also next to those next to you, those believers. Have you ever been on a hike with a family with young children? It's one of the scariest things on the planet. Um, it just is. I love hiking. I really do. I love the mountains. I love anything that's not hot. Hot weather. Can't stand it. Uh, why am I living in Texas? Who knows? Uh, because God made me. Anyway, I'm just kidding. No, I like Texas about half the year, about October through March, and right now it's kind of awful, but... I'm from Florida, so what can I do? Anyway, so, but, but, uh, you know, I love hiking, and, and my two older children are still in the room, um, but especially with the two younger ones, that there's been times hiking where, I mean, it's not that dangerous of a hike, but when you add a five, almost six year old who's not sitting here anymore, who's always frolicking around, she could frolic her way off of a cliff at any moment. No one would even know. Uh, we would know, but um, it's, it's scary. And she's not doing anything wrong. She's having lots of fun. But when you imagine this idea of walking, I want you to have that picture in mind. Walking next to people whom you love, knowing full well that there's nothing easy or safe about this. Nothing at all. So keep that in your mind. Okay, I want to read from the first uh, chapter of Colossians and set the stage a little bit for what uh, Paul is, is talking about here. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faith, faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you, uh, which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from uh, Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. If I got a letter like this from Paul, to me or to the church, you'd feel pretty good about this. This is good. He's hearing from probably Epaphras, the founder of the church, um, probably the one who brought the gospel to the area. He's hearing from him, you guys are doing really well. You have taken hold of this gospel. You have the hope in your life. I've heard about the way you love. I, you know, he, This is really good news. But he understands, he and Timothy who are writing uh, to them, understand that this isn't enough. You are a church that has been established not by Paul directly, but by Epaphras. And he sees in them a very difficult situation. Again, there's a lot we don't know, but he's now going to move to a point of praying for them in a way that will help them really navigate this situation. He wants them to walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord. And that's not going to be easy. So there's this story. It's probably a legend because I can't, figure out whether it's actually been documented any, anywhere. But it's a good story anyway, and so as a good preacher, I'm going to use it. But see, I told you the truth, that it may or may not be real, okay? So, you know, President Ulysses S. Grant, um, and picture him for a moment, all the pictures, statues you've seen. He's got a really great beard. He would make most hipsters really proud today uh, because they want Ulysses S. Grant beards. Of course they do. Um, Okay, so imagine him for a moment. Okay, so this was uh, one of uh, golf's immortal moments. Came in the 1870s. Any of you play golf? I don't. I don't get it. Uh, but I understand, I guess, why, why people like golf. But Okay, so in the 1870s, um, this is when a Scotsman demonstrated this new game for the U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant. Carefully placing the ball on the tee, he took a mighty swing. The club hit the turf and scattered dirt all over the president's beard and the surrounding vicinity while the ball waited placidly on the tee. Again, the Scotsman swung, and again he missed. Our president waited patiently through six tries. And then, legendarily at least, quietly said, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in this game, but I fail to see the purpose of the ball. Right. Now, I don't know... <laughs> If some of you didn't want to admit to playing golf, maybe you play like that. I don't know. Um, but have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like when you're walking with the Lord that you know where you're going, you're on that hike, but you know, you're, you're, you've lost your way a little bit, or you can't quite see the end. You didn't read the trail map at the beginning, and you have no idea how long this loop is that they've sent you on. Been there, done that. Uh, <laughs> the loop is five, ten miles, not two, like we thought. Uh, so you know, something like that. Um, this is a good illustration. It's a funny illustration, but it's a good illustration 
of what it is sometimes like to walk worthy of the Lord. So as I told you, the way that Paul talks about the Colossians, it's a pretty great compliment. The way that they are living out the truth of the Gospel as a church in a place that is very difficult in which to minister. Many Jews have come to Christ. Many Gentiles have come to Christ. Many people have come out of their pagan false religions to the hope of the Gospel. They've received forgiveness. All this amazing stuff. But they have huge challenges ahead. Rick Warren, in one of his books, wrote this about a man in his 20s. He said, I feel like a failure because I'm struggling to become something. And I don't even know what it is. All I know to do is get by. Someday, if I discover my purpose, I feel I'm beginning to live. This person in his 20s who just no purpose in life, didn't know how to walk, didn't know where to go, what to do, felt pretty empty. Now, I think if you're honest with yourself, even those of you who have perhaps known Christ for a long time have had periods of your life that feel a lot like that. You know what path God wants you on. You know He wants you to have a joyful, abundant life. You know that you're forgiven. And all the wonderful things that come with that. But the truth is that there are times in your life where you feel pretty aimless. Like you're not necessarily walking in the way that God would have you do. And that is sometimes a pretty daunting thing. Sometimes pretty disheartening. I find myself there more often than you might think. And sometimes when you're challenged to do things for the Lord, sometimes we forget to live the way He wants us to live in abundance and joy and all those things. So let's keep reading in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and really dig into what Paul wants for these believers and discover what it means to walk worthy. Starting with verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we have heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's stop there for a moment. Notice that Paul Paul and Timothy both have heard wonderful things about this church. And the moment they heard about it, he said, we have begun to pray for you and we have done it ceaselessly. You've become a big concern for us. So actually today, as I preach this to you, I also pray this for you. The same idea that I have heard about this church and I have heard what you do and what you have been doing historically and what you are doing now. And I pray the same thing that Paul prayed for the church at Colossae almost 2,000 years ago. So this is a very close-to-home sort of idea. I want you to know that in a sense, this prayer is about you. Because once he heard about them, he began praying for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, this concept of spiritual understanding is specifically uh, Jewish, actually, of Jewish origin. This is a normal phrasing that Paul would use as a person that was a Jew of Jews, as he called himself. And for the Jewish believers, they would really understand this, that what they believed is that true spiritual wisdom and understanding came from the knowledge of the law of God. You can see that all through the Old Testament. The Psalms especially that talk about the law of the Lord is that there's so many illustrations and metaphors used for the law of the Lord. 
it brings life, it's like honey, it's fulfilling and knowing the precepts of God. Uh, you know, all of those things that we see about the law of God, it is the thing that brings understanding. The difference is, now Paul has in view even more than just the law of God that they know. As he'll say later, now they have the Spirit. Now they have Christ. Now they have even a more full understanding of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He's already said they had the hope of the Gospel. They have all of that, so it's even more, but he is praying for them to have a deep wisdom and an understanding. A knowledge of God's will. So how does walking start? It starts with knowing the Master who's leading you on this walk. On this hike. If you imagine with me that scenario where you're taking a bunch of little kids on a really dangerous hike. I, for one, would rather be there with someone who's hiked the trail a million times. Or that I would have done that. Some master of that particular area. That's good for anything. Someone who really knows their way. Any of you who are into boating, someone who understands the waterway, not just following the buoys and the signs, but someone who really knows where to go. Uh, you know, that sea boat captain who really understands what to do and where to go makes all the difference. And knowing what the Master wants, who He is, makes all the difference when you're walking worthy of the Lord. I've been deep sea fishing in, uh, off the coast of Maine. And off the coast of Maine, uh, Eastport, Maine actually, um, <clears throat> my dad grew up there. He's a maniac, I know. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a great place. I love the state of Maine actually. Uh, where the water temperature in the ocean, I believe, is 38 to 42 degrees any time of year. So they told us, you don't need to bother with a life jacket because if you fall in, if we don't grab you instantly, you're done anyway. Oh, good. <laughs> Hypothermia, I don't know. Anyway, so there's this spot where you go out this inlet, and we were going out cod fishing, and we'd catch a few haddock and some pollock and some other things. But there's this huge whirlpool called the Big Sow. Yeah. That's a great name, isn't it? This huge whirlpool. And what was really scary is these captains who did this pretty much every day in not the winter would, would go out and sometimes you'd, you'd go way around it depending on what it was doing at the moment. Sometimes you'd kind of go through it because it was perfectly safe at that moment. It didn't look perfectly safe, but it was, apparently. But those experienced captains knew which way to go, even if it looked dangerous to those on the boat, he knew very well that that big scary whirlpool that apparently um, could take an empty 55-gallon drum. Now, if you ever try to... Go, go ahead, take one in the swimming pool and try to dunk it. You can't do it. Um, there's no way. It will suck one of those down and send it out several hundred yards later. It will just, the whirlpool will suck it completely down. It's incredible stuff. You don't want to be caught in this thing. But to be with the right person who knew how to navigate made all the difference. How does one walk worthy? They know the master who is guiding them. They not only trust him, but they also know what he wants. He wants you to step here and not here so you don't slide off the cliff. He wants you to go this way because yeah, it's going to be harder, but at the end of the day, this is a better path than that path. All kinds of things we can imagine here. So, continue in verse uh, uh, 10. So that you will walk 
in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what does it mean to walk worthy? To stay on the path that God wants you on? Yeah. But it's even more than that. It's to please Him in all respects. It's following that trail guide. It's following or going with that boat captain or whatever illustration you want to insert in your mind to imagine this. It's pleasing that person in all respects. Because at the end of the day, that's going to equal you walking worthy of the Lord. The only way you can do that, remember, is to know what He wants from you. Once you know what He wants from you, then you can walk worthy because you want to please Him in all respects. How do you please Him in all respects? You bear fruit in all the things you do. That means that those things that we place our hands to, our work that God has given us, I mean good, mundane work is a deeply biblical concept and is deeply God-honoring. Don't forget that. But also the way that we serve one another, we love one another, we reach our communities, that we use your, our businesses or the work that we do or the people we run across or the way that we go through the drive through being Christ-like to the best of our ability. Whew. Or in Dallas traffic, for example, trying to be Christ-like. Um, things as simple as that. To walk worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit in all things. I was challenged, I think it was last week, uh, we generally attend Compass Christian Church over in Colleyville. And the, uh, the preacher that week, Luke, Luke Davidson, uh, it encouraged us to think about the idea that biblically, it's not that we aren't necessarily called to serve others around the world or to called to do some pretty crazy things for the Gospel, but whether you are or not or whether you are doing that or not, in the regular mundane things in life, there are ways that you can influence and affect those people around you who are just living life. Like I said, the way you drive in traffic, the way you go to the store, the way that you see that person who's um, doing your, your checkout items in the grocery store line who's obviously upset and asks, is there anything I can pray for you for? That might freak them out, but oh well. Um, somebody cares for them. Just the little mundane things. I don't think about that stuff very well. But when you are walking worthy, when you know what the Master wants, and when you have an eye on Him, the way that He's walking on the trail, the way that He is moving through life, I suspect that if Jesus went through me, uh, went before me in the grocery store line, that if I went after him, I'd probably do things a little differently, wouldn't you? To watch him walk through, I'd be like, oh, I'm a failure. The last time I went through the line, I was a jerk or whatever. But I imagine that if we followed Jesus through the grocery store line and followed him in traffic and followed him the way that we serve one another, that we would probably notice people more we would probably bend down and pick up the person who's hurting a lot more. But that's exactly right. We don't have the ability to literally walk behind Him in the grocery store line, but we do understand what it means to walk worthy. He has left us that example. So I challenge you and I challenge me to that kind of walking worthy so that everything that we do bears good fruit. That it will produce something. Now here's the deal. This passage and no other passage in the Bible that I know of 
specifically guarantees that you'll get to see or enjoy that good fruit. There are influences that you have in life that may have a trickle-down effect and may not do anything. But there is some fruit that will be born, probably a lot of it, that you may never even know about. And that shouldn't stop us anyway from living a life that is worthy. You could affect your children in a way that doesn't actually bear full fruit until great-grandchildren. Who knows? That you may never get to meet. You could say something to someone who, if you didn't say it, that person could have made a really bad decision later that day because no one loved them. Whatever we can do to walk worthy of the Lord, it is not our job to bear the fruit. It is our job to walk worthy and so that our good works will bear fruit. It's exciting stuff when you think about it. It's not our job to be dramatic and have you know big, wonderful things that we do for each other in our community. It's just our job to walk worthy. That's both a wonderful release of having to preach the Gospel to billions like Billy Graham. It would be cool. I'd love to do it. But part of that scares me to death if I ever got the um, ability to do that or the opportunity to do that but that God would use maybe one person's life that you affect. Well, you're just walking worthy of the Lord. You're just obeying the Master. You're just following the trail guide to where He wants you to go. Look what He will do with it. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He wants so much from them to be those people who understand what the Master wants, to bear fruit in absolutely everything they do, to walk worthy, but to also be strengthened with all power. This gives you the secret to this. Not in a Gnostic sense, the secret that will lead to enlightenment, but Paul is revealing this idea that, hey guys, don't worry, there's a secret to this walking worthy. And it's that it's not by your power alone. It's this power that we are given. It's the Spirit that he has talked about. It's the knowing what God wants and the will of God. Knowing knowledge and understanding of the Master. Of the law of God. All those things that he said. And it, you are strengthened with all power. And he wants so badly for those believers to have the strength to encounter dangerous teachings in that society. Same thing for you. To encounter uh, difficult situations knowing that you are strengthened with all power. That as you are walking worthy, you are not alone. You are not really by yourself. Because sometimes walking worthy will walk you straight into a wall. It might. It might feel like it at least. <laughs> or walking worthy could make it feel like you're walking straight off a cliff. But walking worthy of our Lord also ultimately leads to bearing fruit. And strengthened by Him, we can do amazing things for Him. According to His glorious might. Not ours, but His. That's where it comes from. That's how it's actually possible. 
That's how it can be done. For attaining all steadfastness and patience, is there anything else that is more needed to be able to walk worthy than that? Steadfastness and patience. You know what? I'm not sure this is the hardest part, but it's probably the part I complain about the most internally. When I think of walking in a way that God would have me walk, when I think about um, just that daily grind of being worthy of the Lord in the simple, mundane, non-glamorous stuff that encompasses most of our lives. The getting up and the eating and the feeding of children maybe or whatever it might be for you. Just that mundane grind. There's nothing glamorous about that. It doesn't feel like we're walking with the Lord. It doesn't feel like we're affecting society for, for the Gospel sometimes. Sometimes you feel a little, a, little, a little lost. Sometimes you're on a difficult part of the trail. Whatever it may be, and the only thing that's going to keep you is the power of God by His glorious might and that you could have steadfastness and patience. I am only somewhat of a patient person. I'm not the most impatient person I've ever met, but I'm neither the most patient. Probably somewhere in the middle, probably on the bad side. Anyway, now sometimes that can be sort of good because you're not, you want to move quickly with things you want to change or to make better. But sometimes walking with the Lord, you can't see the changes. You can't see the fruit that He is bearing, like I said before. And sometimes He just wants you to be steadfast and patient. I bet that some of you in your personal lives or even in this church probably feel like, why are we here? I think we should be here. Or better yet, thinking of a path, why are we here and not here? Now, maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's our fault. Maybe it's that you're right where God wants you to be and He wants you to be patient because something's coming. Maybe He wants you to be faithful in the little things. I don't know. But I know that walking with the Lord sometimes requires a steadfastness and patience that is really hard. And sometimes it's a lot easier to go on and do something else. Not the thing that God wants you to do because it's not glamorous. It's not fun. It's not exciting. I can't see the results. That stuff drives me crazy, honestly. (laughs) And I bet there's some people in the room going, "Uh uh-huh, you're just afraid to say it, right? Um, But steadfastness and patience. The only way we can walk worthy is like that. But notice that he also says joyously. Because when we're steadfast, when we're patient, I know that God will bring about fruit even if I don't get to see it. Even though that bothers me, I know that that walking with the Lord ultimately brings joy. And that's what Paul wants for those believers. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for my family. I want us to be able to walk worthy of the Lord in a way that's steadfast and patient, but also joyous. Understanding that it's not always glamorous. It's rarely glamorous. It's rarely what we want it to be. But fortunately, being faithful to the Master was never about what we wanted in the first place. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance in the saints of light. You see, kind of as a sort of as a, a mini-conclusion, and then he'll go on to say more in just a minute. He's saying, you know, so that all this stuff I pray for you, all this stuff I want for your lives, the way I want you to walk, 
in a higher level than I've already heard you're doing because I know how important it is. I know how important it is in your society for the church to succeed, for the Gospel to be advanced. This is the way you're going to have to walk. Not only to continue to be faithful personally, but as a church to advance the Gospel, only those who act like this and all these ways we've talked about have a chance of succeeding. But also, then he says, but, wait a minute, do all this while you're giving thanks to the Father who He qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is again a very Jewish phrase. The idea of darkness to light. And he, he, he talks about this because there are no doubt Jews in this audience who had moved from darkness to light. They were already in the people of God, but they recognized their Messiah and they became followers of Jesus. And there were Gentiles in the audience who had gone from darkness to light as well. And all of them get to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then he goes on and says this, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. To reiterate the point, it is not by our power that we are qualified to receive this inheritance. It is by God's power through His Son that He transferred us to the kingdom of those that are forgiven. Of those that walk in the light. Of those that have hope of the Gospel. Back to the beginning of the chapter. The Colossians were already walking worthy. Perhaps. They understood the hope of the Gospel. It made them love a certain way. It made them live a certain way. They were doing that, but He knew the only chance that you all have to survive in that society and not get pulled back into empty philosophies and lots of other things that can distract you from the path. He also knew that they needed to be this kind of people that would walk in a way worthy of the Lord or the Gospel would not be advanced. Notice that that is the big deal here. And that none of that is accomplished without God's power moving His people from those that were in darkness to light. Those that had no hope to ones that had hope. All of this is accomplished by ultimately His power. But at the same time, because of what He's done, because of the kingdom He has brought us in, because of Him transferring our Lordship from darkness to his Lordship. We get to follow that Master on a path that will be hard and arduous and difficult and sometimes seemingly hopeless. And why are we here? It's hot outside. Why are we walking here? My feet hurt. I have to go potty. You know, just, you know, whatever it may be. <laughs> Things I hear, right? But you've been there, right? You know this. It's the, the, we all do the same kind of complaining all the time. But notice the way that Paul's praying for them is I want more for you. Not just I want more from you. I want you to live worthy. He wants more for them. Because he knows there is more for them. Walking worthy of the Lord is not just about you need to do what the Master says. 
it is about that. But look what results come from walking in a way that is worthy of the Lord. And we could talk all day about those who walk worthy of the Lord, the kind of very practical results that happen in life. Think of the person that you know that has walked worthy with the Lord. Makes mistakes, no doubt. But through their life, they generally have a lot less trouble. They walk with integrity in the way they do business, let's say, or whatever it is. They generally have a lot less problems to deal with because they're walking worthy with the Lord. Now sometimes they're encountered with some pretty significant persecution because they are walking worthy with the Lord. Sometimes there are consequences for walking worthy with the Lord. Choosing to do the right thing and being punished for it. Certainly, all of those are possible. But look at the results. Because those who walk worthy with the Lord have been rescued. We've been taken out of darkness and put in the light and we are able to walk in a way that is upright, full of integrity. By God's power, not our own. That's exciting. So all that Paul prayed for you, for them, I also pray for you. I pray it for me. I pray it for all of our churches in this area across the world that those that have been saved out of darkness and into light would walk in a way that is worthy. That is worthy of the Lord. And that they would share in the inheritance that we all have. The inheritance that leads to eternal life. It leads to a life that is deeply abundant. That is joyful. Steadfastness. Patience. All these things that we've seen. Look at what you can have if you know the will of God and you follow it. If you understand what God has done through you and you allow Him to give you the power to work through you. Imagine what you could do. But my last challenge to you is Kind of what I've already said, but I want you to think about this. I've been thinking about this lately. The idea of how can I, in the mundane stuff of life, that I can't really even imagine God working through the way that you do this or that. Maybe you're stuck in a dead-end job or you you know, just feel like you're just going from one thing to the other. Maybe, just maybe, through prayer and a little bit of thinking, think about and pray about how God can use you in those situations to maybe make some pretty big impact on the lives of people around you, on society around you. Watch what God will do. Because sometimes I think part of our issue is that we're too busy looking at our feet and just going from one thing to another that we don't notice others. We don't notice how the way that we act affects others. And I, I'm excited, because I'm going to do this, of thinking about a way that God can use me as I try to walk worthy of Him, as I try to follow Him. To use me in a way to maybe notice someone who I would have normally just blown right past. Or talk to someone in some way that maybe is a little better than I normally do. Or whatever. That God can use you and, and I don't think it's bad to do this, but to, to, to ask God, could you let me see some of the fruit so that I can be encouraged to know that that was worth it? That it really did make a difference? And, and, and I pray for that sometimes. It's not His job to show me that. But there are times where 
you know, if you've you know raised children, there are those times where you, you've taught them something for five straight years, and it's like they're not listening. And then one mo- one day they they say something. You're like, oh my gosh, you've been listening. <laughs> you get it. You get it. Or they make a decision that is just shocking. You're like, wow, you finally get it. You made the decision that I. I wanted you to make, and you did it all on your own because you were convinced that that was the right thing to do. You're listening. To be able to see that kind of fruit so that you can be encouraged to continue to walk worthy with the Lord and know that it makes a difference. That it actually makes a difference in the people around you. So if you don't mind, I'm going to pray for you now and ask God to give you strength and wisdom and all that Paul has asked for here to help you walk worthy with the Lord. Pray with me, would you?